0: Please visit jcastnetwork.org.
1: Shalom, this is Rabbi Joshua Heller, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Bene Torah in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Today we're studying Tractate Chagiga, Daf Yud Aleph, Amud Aleph, and Bet. Today we saw a number of areas of practice that are suspended in midair without much of a textual basis. Today. We'll enter chapter 2 and explore realms of forbidden knowledge. But first, we'll finish chapter 1 and see the second category of laws described by our Mishnah, areas of practice that do in fact have a biblical basis. Those areas include civil law, sacrifices, purity and impurity, and even forbidden sexual relations. The Mishnah says about them that they have al smohu, they have on what to rely in the Bible. Now, the Talmud is not satisfied with that. The Gemara is not satisfied with that. Having a basis in Scripture, surely they're more rooted in the Bible than that. So, the Gemara brings examples, even in those areas of very biblically established law, of rules whose biblical basis is not so firm. So, for example, the Torah says in a number of places, "Ain tachat ain shen tachat shen, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And, It would seem that that would be intended literally, and indeed so it is in many ancient law codes, but the rabbis read that idiomatically to imply the requirement of financial compensation. Similarly, they find an obscure point of law of forbidden relationships related to rape of an illegitimate child to show that there is still some aspect of that area of law that is not quite solidified in the text. What do we make of this desire to wrestle with which laws have a biblical basis and which do not? Our Mishnah yesterday concluded with the statement, Hen Hen Gufei Torah. These and these are the body, the fundamentals of Torah. The plain sense of the Mishnah was that those commandments that have a strong basis in scripture, like civil law, law, impurity, etc., are to be considered Gufei Torah, the very body of Torah, and the others are not. But our Gemara is not satisfied with that assessment, and rather concludes that these and those are Gufei Torah, that even those rules that have barely a hint in the biblical text are, in fact, essential Jewish teachings with a biblical base. Now, on this daf, we come to chapter 2 of Chagiga, which is one of the most challenging in the entire Talmud, because it addresses the question of those teachings that are, if you will, on a need-to-know basis. We explore the question of what teachings are too dangerous to be shared with the general public. So we'll start today on something easier. We pick up on the theme of forbidden relationships from the last chapter. And we explain that those rulings, even though they have a textual basis, may not be taught to three students at the same time. Maaseb Reshit, commonly interpreted to mean cosmology, the interpretation of the creation of the world, may not be taught to even two. In other words, only one student at a time. And Maaseb the esoteric explanations of Ezekiel's vision of the divine chariot, can't even be taught to one student unless he is of sufficient mental ability and acuity. And finally, we are told we do not want to study what is above, what's below, what's before, and what is after. What is physically above and below, the heaven and what is below the earth, or before and after, what happened before the world, or what will happen after the end of the world. And the idea is that study in these areas of knowledge could in fact lead to a disrespect for the Creator. The stakes are very high. In the event of a misunderstanding of the nature of the creation of the world, or the nature of how one understands God, There is a great risk of heresy, or we will see even worse. Now, of course, the Gemara will go on to explicate every single one of these areas for us in violation of the Mishnah. Today, we'll focus on this question of forbidden relations. We might understand why mystical stuff might be limited to an esoteric view, but why forbid teaching about forbidden relationships? Everyone should know which relationships are permitted and which ones are forbidden. Otherwise, you might get into trouble. The Gemara first brings some potential textual explanations for why these particular rules should not be explicated in a large group. Some are based on a careful reading of the verses describing these forbidden relationships. So, for example, based on the number of times the word ish, man appears, or how plurals are used, we determine how many may be involved in the study of these laws. Ish, Ish means two, the plural implies one more. Those are rejected, and rather we understand that there is a pedagogic issue here. That when you have only one or two students, that at least one of them is going to be gauged with the instructor, and the other really has nowhere else to turn. On the other hand, with three students, the instructor might be engaging with one of them, and the other two could carry on a conversation amongst themselves and miss an important point. Now, on the other hand, that could be true no matter what topic is being taught. And so to really understand what's going on here, we have to go a little bit deeper, which is to understand that in this realm of physical temptation, the stakes are higher. Because in most other areas of law, the urge to violate or to reinterpret to justify uh, an inappropriate act is not nearly as strong as it is in the case of forbidden relationships. Because there are plenty of other temptations in the world, for example theft, but in those cases we might be tempted while the object is before us, but our mind is not wandering and contemplating them at many other times. In contrast, someone who is contemplating a forbidden relationship is likely to have that temptation on the brain, so to speak, in their conscious or unconscious mind at all times, and will be looking for justification for their actions in the course of their study. And indeed, I would note that these types of transgressions are easier to self-justify or rationalize. So, an act of theft, there is a clear victim. On the other hand, someone who is contemplating One of these types of acts might make the claim that even though the act is illegal or unethical, it is victimless if all involved consent, when in fact our tradition indicates that every intimate relationship between two people in fact does have a third partner, namely God, and we have to consider the fact that our actions in that realm may have an impact not just on those participating in the act, but on the larger community as well.